parents told him he'd never get anywhere playing video games for a living. Now he's here. It's Behind the Line Radio with your host, Kinetic. And it starts now. Hello everyone and welcome to Behind the Line Radio where we're trying to give you some inside industry insight for the gaming industry for consumers. I'm your host, Kinetic, a.k.a. Nick. As always, my co-host Jeff is with us. How are you? And joining us today is Blake. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Happy to be here with you guys. <laughs> so, what what kind of piqued our interest this week was the notification of Steam's effort to be more transparent with how busy their customer support is. A while ago, they were given an F by the Better Business Bureau, and a lot of that was kind of driven by their customer support. Mm. So, I don't know. Steam's one of those really weird things. We've been talking about it recently, about how they're very flat, or their management doesn't exactly give a whole lot of directives. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> they... It's not surprising that they would get the F in 2015, and kind of the next headline you directly get about it is two years later. But one of the things they've done is released a website that gives you some stats about what their uh, customer support is doing. And I find that a little bit weird, because unless you're kind of steeped in customer support itself, this chart doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot to you. Yeah, not to the layman. (laughs) So, I wanted to ask Blake, you're not a layman with this. (laughs) I'm not, no. I actually work in customer support myself, and I found this pretty interesting to take a look at. So, um, I'm going to describe the chart here. For for anyone who has, if if you really want to see it, you can look it up. It's not too hard. You go Steam support stats, it'll probably come right up, Um, but... To keep things self-contained in this podcast, I'm going to describe it a bit. So you've got it's it's pretty basic. It's a it's a just a line chart with two axes. One is a, a counter, and it goes up to uh, the the axis goes up to 125,000. Although no counts ever really go higher than 100,000, and uh, it's dates on the uh, x-axis on the horizontal. Uh, apparently every day, although it counts out uh, the the Markers are every week, but that's pretty common for this stuff. And it's got two lines. It's only got two lines. Uh, submitted request and waiting for response. Submitted for request uh, is... It, not surprisingly, it has a sawtooth pattern and it spikes every weekend. Whereas waiting for response at the very beginning, and this goes back 90 days, at the very beginning, uh, that line was... Mm, looks like about 45,000 and then it dropped... And it's been hovering around, I'm going to guess, twelve to 20,000, yeah, mostly on the right. lower side of that, uh, for the past two and a half months. Uh, and at the bottom, there's just a couple of counters waiting for response. Most recent, 11,125, and peak for the past 90 days, 42,849. So that's just your um, latest number and the highest number in 90 days. Uh, so, Blake, what thoughts do you have about this? Why do you say this looks interesting to you? Uh, well, well, first off, just with Valve being on like such a 
crazy high scale. I, I personally was fascinated to see how many uh, tickets that they're getting in and how many people are, are waiting for a response. I mean, to, to say that it's over 10 times the amount that uh, my organization usually deals with is even an understatement <laughs> in of itself. Um, Given the so number of games they work with, I would kind of hope so. It's a platform, yeah. not... <laughs> yeah. That's true. Um, I'm to, for a little additional added context. I, I work with a, a publisher, so we we aren't dealing on like a, a necessarily a one game ba- uh, basis all the time. But uh, still, with a platform as as huge as uh, as Steam, this is these are some they make sense number wise. It's just uh, I I don't envy them. <laughs> um, yeah. But scrolling down a little bit on on this whole chart, uh, what I find really interesting is uh, they've they have these things broken out into four different request categories. Mm. And so from top to bottom, they have refund requests that are by far one of the, the largest amount of incoming uh, volume. Right now, they're at about 60,000. Um, I <laughs> I feel very fortunate on my front that I don't personally have to deal with a lot of this stuff <laughs> because uh, since we put our stuff out through the mobile platforms, Actually, a lot of refund requests are are dealt with by Apple or Google themselves. So, uh, for me, that that's great. Um, that's looks like it's probably about seventy five percent of their queue is yeah. something that I don't have to deal with. Can, can um, you imagine what this graph looked like the day before they launched their refund policy? <laughs> oh man, yeah i <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, I mean, it, it or does the day after, well. for that matter. I bet they got a <laughs> <Yeah>. huge spike. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Um, well, and I, I also find it fascinating, like all the other smaller things that they've had to change since then, uh, since they rolled out the refund requests. One of the biggest uh, that affected me personally is I used to always love the the Steam sales. Um, I would I would like not buy anything for a while, and I would wait so that I could check back every you know six to eight hours when they were going to put up the new games during this like two week period and it seemed like the first sale that they had after the refund requests came out uh, was a little bit of a disaster from their end because all these people had worked out these schemes to basically like buy the games for cheap but then try to refund them after the, the sale was over and it was causing all of this confusion and all of the sales since they've basically decided like all right look whatever we put up day one that's going to be the price for these two weeks yeah, this is just going to take a huge stress off of our shoulders. It, um, that, that's a little surprising, as I would have thought that they would. The system would have been capable of refunding simply what you paid for the transaction, just refund mm-hmm. the transaction rather than go again and look up the price and refund that, and that causing some sort of logjam. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've worked with wallet systems. It seems like it would simply be easier to find the transaction and refund that. Yeah, you you would think. Uh, I just remember there was there was a whole mess of uh, of threads that were popping up online on all these people basically coming out with their own little exploits on like, oh well, if you do this, then you can kind of trick the support into doing that, or you can play this game for you know an hour and a half because they'll flag you at two hours where they're gonna not refund your request. It was it was basically like. <laughs> they came out with the system right before this sale, and it was probably the the worst time they could have done it because oh, of all the just additional traffic they would normally be getting. Ah, oh, boy, because because that goes to show you when you're when you're doing video game business, 
there's a really weird adversarial relationship between the um, the the market and the consumer. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like gamifying the the playing of games. Yeah, it's meta gaming, the meta game right there. <laughs> and I, I gotta say, you said j- just a, a little turn of phrase you had there seems to be almost the motto or, or, or standard reaction to Steam. You'd think something would be the case. Yeah. You would think. <laughs> That's true. Um, but uh, it is interesting to see, though, that that is actually, it seems to be their primary focus, where their typical response time as of the time of this recording is uh, for refund requests, they'll usually get to you within two hours, um, which for the amount of volume that they're getting, that's I would say that that's a pretty reasonable amount of time uh, to respond. Um, Sometimes it's a pretty good response time at physical locations. Jesus. Yeah, uh, (laughs) definitely. Uh, Uh, So going down the rest of the list. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to. I was just going to ask anyone here had to interact personally? Any anecdotes with uh, Steam uh, as far as customer service is concerned? No, myself. Uh, I I haven't. Or response time for that matter. (laughs) Yeah, the the only story I have, and it wasn't even a refund, is when I moved from. Australia to Canada, I had to have them um, so that the currency would change with me. Uh, I actually had to to interact with them and prove that I had moved, and that was actually a fairly long interaction because it was back and forth with documentation. But I st- it was still all done with in under a day, which I was pretty impressed with, considering you know I'm one of millions of customers. So <laughs> right. um, yeah, no no b- horror stories myself, but uh, yeah I. I can see some of these people on the red line might be a little miffed. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, um, just myself, anecdotally, like for, for working in customer service, I actually interact with other customer services very infrequently. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm much more the type to uh, search the darkest depths of the Internet before I'll, I'll resort to going to customer support. <laughs> is, that out of, is that out of solidarity? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I, I at least want to put my due diligence in before going straight to support. Mm. Um, so, so going down the rest of the list of, of some of the other uh, things that they have called out here, um, the next one, account security and recovery. Uh, Jeff, that sounds exactly like what you were talking about. Um, that is their next lowest uh, amount of time to response which is about two and a half hours to one day. So that echoes pretty much exactly what you said. Got it all yep. resolved within a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there on, now we, we start to get to the, the higher end stuff where the game, Steam, uh, there are the game and Steam technical support. That's taken about eight hours to a day. And then purchase and billing support, which, which I also find really interesting, is uh, that's three and a half hours to, uh, to two days. Um, you know, the funny thing is, I would actually raise the question of what Jeff went through. I could argue that that would go under account security and recovery or game and Steam technical support in terms of team Steam technical support or purchase mm. and billing support because it centers around billing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, they don't want me not buying things, right? They <laughs> want to make they want they want to make sure that I can get right back on there and. Uh... Hit the ground running with my wallet. So exactly. Well, and for that exact reason, that's why I find it so interesting that uh, their longest typical response time is for purchase and billing support. Uh, in in my organization, 
that's like the, the number one thing where if we have any kind of ticket come in with that, it's flagged specially and that goes right to the top of the of queue to be worked out. So uh, for us, we, we try to make sure those are, are out of the queue in under four hours maximum. So the mm. fact that they're at 3.2 hours uh, at the minimum, I, I found really interesting. Well, Blake, would you consider that that's possibly the difference between Steam, which is mostly a uh, 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 standard sale model, whereas I know you're primarily working with a free-to-play model, so that would be reflective of a shift of priorities between those two models? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's actually that's a great point, um, because on, on Steam's model, once, once the purchase is made, you know... You've you've kind of got the time to work that out, but in, in a free to play model, it's a it's a lot easier to pick up the the players, but it's also a lot easier to lose them. So for really simple uh, and and like microtransactional things, if a player's upset because there's some sort of discrepancy over let's just say like a, a five dollar sale, it's a lot easier for them to kind of walk away from that if they're not having a good experience with their money um, versus in uh, in Steam, like they they're a little bit stuck. I mean, it's it's not a great way to put it, but they've already stuck made their financial they... investment. <laughs> yeah. it, exactly. Yeah. Um, although Steam does support a good number of free to play titles, do you think that potentially that if they get a billing support question for a free to play title, they weight that differently than uh, a paid download or a standard model? You know, I'm not sure. It's it's a little hard to tell. Um, I mean, this is a little bit more transparent than we've ever had before into their their support, but um, possibly. All right. Now, another thing that I was curious about and was wondering if you might have some insight to is the waiting for response line. And this kind of goes to, to a couple of the questions that I've had so far is... Who is waiting for which response? The, the the label of that seems ambiguous. I don't know if there's a standard definition for this within customer support or if it's open to interpretation is if that's the customer waiting for a response from Steam or Steam waiting for a response from the yeah. customer. Good point. <laughs> yeah, that is true. The, the way that I interpreted it right off the bat was that this is the customer waiting for a response back from Steam. Hmm. Um, we'll, we'll usually personally have have two different kind of queues set up where we have tickets coming in that are are brand new and waiting for the sort of first contact from an agent we'll have people who are part of like a a conversation that we're trying to get to the bottom of everything who have come back and are waiting for an agent and then we'll have a sort of a group of, of tickets that are responded to and we're waiting for some kind of a response back from player and so Usually, whenever we're sort of putting out any metrics like this, uh, the, the group of players that we're waiting for a response back from them, we never report on because it's a little irrelevant. Sometimes we've solved the problem and we're just waiting back on confirmation from the player, but because things are already solved, they never come back and never really finish out the ticket. In which case, on, on our end, uh, we have certain numbers set in place where if you reach X number of days that we haven't heard back, we'll send you a reminder like, hey, you know, we're still here. You're still having a problem. And then X number of days after that, we'll actually close the ticket to clear up that space on our end. So 
Um, I, my interpretation of this is that this waiting for responses, these are players who are, are waiting, whether it be for a very first message back from Valve or uh, or they're part of a conversation and they're just waiting on the next piece to continue on. Mm. <clears throat> that makes sense. Because any time you send that uh, reply back, you're, you're not guaranteed to get a response from the customer. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I mean, their, their numbers, I'm sure, would be much higher uh, if if they were also reporting that. <laughs> or reporting that instead. Because, yeah, they, they especially if they, if you were to interpret that as uh, waiting for a response from the customer and they didn't have something to call that, then you're, you're just going to have threads that accrue that, that don't get closed. Some people aren't going to respond. I mean, hell, if you want yeah. to get really morbid, there's some people who are going to not be able to respond because they passed away for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind I, of a terrible thought, but if you're gonna if you're gonna go to the extreme on that one, then then yeah, the, there are some number that are going to pass away between when they sent a ticket and when you are expecting a response from them, and that that count is only going to grow over time. So I mean, that's I, a bit I of reductio ad absurdum there, <laughs> for sure. Oh boy. Yeah, I think that um, this is this is a bit of an example of just some of the fascinatingly offbeat business that Steam does. I mean, there there was another story uh, more recently about Valve's new gift policy, and when you read into this, uh, if I may move off of the um, uh, uh, customer support bit for a moment, that. Um, there are a lot of weird unintended consequences to this or weird intended consequences. Like one of the changes is essentially that you don't gift something to someone's email address. You just give it directly to their steam user. And if they don't accept it, instead of it showing up in your inventory, you just get a refund, which seems pretty reasonable, but this also does stuff to, Oh, hmm? So what's the time limit on that? Is it is it is it like a clock ticking on on it or? Um, let me see here. I don't think so. Huh. But it also means that you might not be able to like it, it, this. All it was digging into some of the uh, details. I know that this can have some effect on people's like gift holiday purchasing patterns. Mm. But it's also intended to, uh, it seems to be intended at least to um, strike against uh, key reselling outfits. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> but on top of that, it also has an effect where it makes international gifting difficult because of different prices for different exchange rates. Yeah, <laughs> good point. So... I mean, it's it's Steam is definitely a strange beast with a lot of this stuff. They have a very odd cross section of transparency in showing what they're doing, but also in just like what they're interested in working on. And I don't know, they you, <laughs> it's sometimes you you look at it and you get confused as hell, and sometimes you're you get these weird insights that feel like, I think I understand how they came to this conclusion. Because of that whole, 
kind of leaderless structure. It's like, do they make games? What, maybe today, maybe not tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm still waiting on Half-Life 3. I'm going to guess that one of the reasons for that is no one's come up with a a base concept that was so interesting that other people wanted to work on it. Either that or everyone's waiting around for someone to say, make it. (laughs) But that's the thing. Apparently no one, they don't operate that way. They don't have someone say, work on this. They don't allocate resources to projects. Projects have to draw interest from the workers. Sounds really weird, but I mean... There's the fascinating way to argue with success, although kind of you can't. It's weird. I I would I would pay to work there for a month just to see what it's like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's fascinating just for me to to kind of see the the rise of Steam and and how praised they were, and now it feels like the perception in the last couple of years is it's taken a little bit of a turn and it's become a little bit more of a like a whipping boy and people are, are pointing out its flaws much more and it seems like between stuff like you know initially the 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 refund issues or now the customer service and especially like all of the, the steam green light drama that has happened um it's kind of fallen off of its pedestal a little bit, and it's interesting to see the the moves that they make to try to course correct. Well, I yeah, I think that um, well, like with the whole green light to Steam Direct thing, I think that while they don't have say directives about what people need to work on, they do have sort of a, a, a an overarching vision or intended goal that they try to work toward. And that's why, for one thing, they tried to do Steam Greenlight. Mm. They wanted to open up the platform to more products, more creators, more variety of content. So they wanted to come up with a system that would sort of curate itself. Yeah. It, clearly to, at best, mixed results. Mm. But... Uh, as I pointed out on the last episode, I mean, one of the things that they wanted was to be surprised. And as Jim Sterling pointed out, I mean, they, they, they would not have on their own picked Hatoful Boyfriend to be on, yeah. the, on the platform if they were uh, left to their own devices. So they, they, they seem to be in the same sort of vein as many other current tech and web outfits where they want to have algorithms be successful at moderation because these ecosystems get so large that they cannot be uh, moderated by hand. And that's that's the vision that they have. That's the vision that, that a lot of people have. But when you have to modify some of these aspects, then it can be very disruptive. And you hear this by YouTubers all the time. Things affect discoverability. Things affect subscriptions. Things affect payments when you're I, I think there's a double-edged sword that's if these platforms are being um, if their eyes are, are fully open and they're being appropriately mindful of what's going on um, yes there there's there if that vision can can work and function that's great but at the same time they 
there is a fragility to it. If they change things that affect the creators, they run the risk of losing or alienating the creators. It, 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 I don't know if these platforms would consider themselves beholden to their creators in that way, mm. but small things they do can absolutely have a disproportionate effect on their creators and serve to um, <clears throat> push them out or um, marginalize them if they aren't careful. So I would say whether or not they, they recognize it, they, they do ha have uh, certain responsibilities to be uh, reliable. To what degree do you think that uh, they're also responsible for being super transparent about what they're doing? <clears throat> well, I if I'm if I might make a quick answer, I I I think it uh, I think they they really can't lose by being more transparent because if 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 nothing else, it means that the conspiracy talk and the you know the the pe the people that are assuming the worst from them will at least have some real inform they'll they'll at least be some real information out there other than just the you know the the speculation so there's definitely truth there when yeah. when faced with a void there can be a tendency in the human mind if not some if if not all then at least a good portion of people to fill in uh, gaps in meaning with negative potential. So, I mean, that's why there's the the saying. Was it? Uh, oh, I forget the name of it, but it's uh, don't attribute to malice what can be adequately explained by incompetence. <laughs> by incompetence, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. because because people will tend to uh, uh, infer uh, malice when perhaps none exists. So that's just yeah. you know, hold on, hold on. Maybe they're just stupid. Yeah. Well, and and these recent insider uh, views, like you know the the flat management and all that. Um, I don't know. I can't remember how old ago, uh, long ago that was, Nick, that that uh, came out. But um, it's it's funny. It, I, it's funny. It's not uh, it's not necessarily incompetence, but the the fact that people are now more aware of how they're managed and how they do things or don't do things. It, there's suddenly this aha, aha moment for a lot of people. Oh, this is why <laughs> this is why this doesn't happen at Steam, or this is why these decisions don't get made. So mm -hmm. it's it's a lot it's a lot easier to understand uh, with this you know space cadet stuff going on. Why sometimes they don't have somebody strong arm them into doing what seems like it would be an obvious choice um, for other organizations because they're not like other organizations. It's pretty clear now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really would find it fascinating to see what it's like to work there. <laughs> I may have to apply someday just to see. Mm. Wouldn't that be fascinating? You uh, could write a book, too. Make a bestseller book, My Six Months <laughs> in <laughs> Steam. <laughs> see if you can um, get around the non-disclosure rules. And <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> Well, depending on how they do, maybe they won't have me sign an NDA. Maybe it'll be like I'm someone working at the fire festival. <laughs> ah, topical humor. <clears throat> okay. Um, yeah, that was the the main thing I wanted to go over this week. I don't know if anyone else had any uh, particular topics that they found interesting and would like to bring up for discussion. Normally, I would try to to get a B story ready, but. 
if you can't tell by my voice, I've been uh, kind of under the weather for the past couple of days. I think I think we're fortunate that you lasted this long, to be honest, by the sound <laughs> of it. <laughs> no, I'm I'm on the mend now. It's, it's um, doing much better than I have been for the past couple of days. Um, it's not really a story so much, but I'm uh, I'm look I'm looking forward to the uh, to the big steam summer sale coming up towards uh, the end of June. I believe it'll be historically. Um, as you pointed out, Blake, uh, ever since they've gotten rid of the flash sales, I think that's what you were going for, right? The ones that were timed or whatever. Exactly. They, yeah, ever since they've gotten rid of the flash sales, it, they've they've become a very sort of um, well, for me, I, I the, the word that comes to mind is underwhelming uh, because I, I was just talking about this with some friends before because it, it's not it's not that the sales are actually any worse in terms of the discounts, etc., because they are still pretty impressive, but there isn't this this uh, reflexive need to go back every day and comb through everything looking for today's deals or this afternoon's deals or whatever because you know it's just going to stay static, so... I wonder if that's going to hurt them a little bit. I mean, I, I get why some of the reasons why they they've gotten rid of this time stuff, but is it really good for business if everyone turns up for the first? Well, look, the, the reality is I turn up on the the first day of the sale, the store crashes, <laughs> and then and then I go back four or five hours later when it's working, <laughs> and and look for everything you know from my wish list, etc. And I give it a good once over and. By the end of the first day, I've probably made all my decisions, and knowing that the sales aren't going to change, I pretty much don't go back again. Uh, whereas previously, it was an everyday uh, sort of thing. I'd go for at least a little bit. So I do wonder if uh, under the new system, and, and who knows, they could change it again. Um, I do know if under the new system, it's going to uh, result in, in less, uh, I don't know, opportunity buys? Is that it? Is that the word for it? <laughs> I know for me personally, it has definitely affected that over the last yeah. year or two since they have been doing the new system. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's been a lot better for my personal sleep. But <laughs> and the wallet and all that. Yeah. Exactly. But Maybe it's, it's a public service they're doing at this point. Hey, you know what? You know what? That that's that's another thing is is speaking of sleep, is any game, any market anything that has a timed element to it if it cycles through stuff it, you have to have your timer be at least eight hours if 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 it runs when you're not uh when you're not there yeah because you have to give people time to sleep otherwise if you wind up having someone obsessive about it uh, uh they will interrupt their sleep and that's mm. that's unhealthy yeah uh, i i have actually told uh people making games you know working in free to play they have those you know timer things to get you come back and I mean this thing runs on three or four hours I'm like that's not good you have to have it be at least eight so that people can sleep if you get a really engaged user they're going to wake up in the middle of the night and hit the thing and that's bad yeah yeah I'm, I'm particularly bad at falling for those kinds of things um but yeah I mean I definitely there's there's a lot of sales that I I just haven't kind of made snap judgments about to, to go by right off the bat because I don't have this window of like a couple of hours of like, Oh my God, this thing's 75% yeah. off now. And I don't know if I'll buy it for 66% off. Uh, but for 75% off, yeah, sure. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll drop $2 for that. Yeah. yeah so I'll be curious how much I end up spending. I, I think the first large sale that the difference was there 
was was it was it last year? I'm trying to remember if last year was the f- the first one or not. I just remember the last big sale I I paid attention to. It was a very different experience. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they ever tweak that again over time. It, it, interesting about that gift stuff you mentioned, Nick. I I have not bought a gift since those changes were made. So um, it'll be interesting if that changes my mindset on anything or whether or not I bank some gifts like I've done in the past or not. Yeah, I'm not sure if we'll he can see. do that one anymore. Huh. Well, we'll I, see. I, if, if it wasn't clear, I haven't re- read that story quite closely enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I'll find out soon because I always predictably buy at least a few gifts during that, that summer sale. But yeah. who knows if they've, if they've changed it to make it more difficult or uh, time-limited or whatever, then that, that might be might change my mind a bit. Well, we can talk about it here after. Yeah, yeah, actually, uh, it'll be probably about six weeks, five weeks from now. So, well, there you go. I, I personally, I've always uh, only really paid attention to the year-end sale as I make a whole bunch of purchases for uh, tax purposes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, hey, working in the game industry, so business so that- expense. Woo-hoo. So, so that's the adversarial relationship between the uh, the consumer and the tax man. That's a, yes. that's a different adversarial serial relationship. Hey, I gotta get two percent to claim that as a business expense. So, at the end of the year, I know how much more I may or may not need to pay, and then it's like, okay, well, if I get this, like, hey, if I spend another fifty dollars on games, then uh, I can get uh, yuppity up back in tax refunds. <laughs> That's just we, leaving we money on the table. We yeah. may need to talk more about this after the show. I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, yeah, well. <laughs> know the tax well, rules as they apply to you. Don't take me at my word for it. I'm not I'm not a tax expert, but you know. Pay attention to what works. Pay attention to what applies to you. That's uh, and 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 know what's actually in your tax returns. <laughs> That's excellent advice. Yeah, I mean, hell, I've actually been audited a bunch, not because of what I just said, but um, and I've actually won. So well, there you go. Uh, if if we're turning this into a strange things that Valve has done podcast, <laughs> I would love to know you guys' thoughts on the the trading card system because. It is the bane of my existence. I honestly yeah. don't understand it. It seems to be a den of vipers. I, I don't understand it at all either. I, I get all excited when I see I have a little notification that I've gotten a new item in my inventory, and I am continually disappointed to see it's a trading card that does nothing but take up a whole bunch of little space on my nice and organized Steam dashboard. I've got I've gotten reasonably deep into it just in order to get my um, uh, rating or level up, um, but that's really about really all it does as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, well, I can't imagine there's any other reason to be involved. Well, I've I've actually looked into this some to try to make some sense of it because this seems to feed into a lot of the garbage that's gone on with Greenlight. Because the trading cards can be, you know, traded and you can do stuff with them that's worth money. So they actually have like auction and selling sites and and stuff based on these cards. So you can actually make money 
I don't know how much, probably not very much, but have a revenue stream based around pumping out a game on Greenlight, releasing cards, and making money off of the cards. And to get the game through Greenlight, you can just hand out a whole bunch of free keys to get votes and do shady stuff there. And that's these two systems put together made not that Greenlight necessarily would have been fine without this, but when you put them together, it seems to have caused the just terrible things to get through. Hmm. I still don't understand quite how, how that all works. Yeah. I, I've put some time into trying to figure it out and have so far basically uh, come to the conclusion that uh, the card system never should have been made in the first place. Probably not. I mean, I've I've blown a few dollars buying missing cards in order to craft badges, and I you know probably would prefer to have that money back now that I have my <laughs> shiny user rating and very little else to show for it. Um, but yeah, if it's if it's encouraging bad actors to get more shovel crap onto Steam, then yeah, that's reason enough to get rid of it right there. As far as I'm concerned, there's enough garbage to scroll through already without incentivizing them further. And as we've been talking about with the kind of stuff they do, I mean, this this must have been interesting to somebody at some point, though. Mm. Maybe there was some... I, I can see this as either a potentially, like, subset within the group insidious thing of, hey, look, we can exploit Skinner Box mechanics, or some pie-in-the-sky thinking about how this could have gone a lot better than it was. I mean... Hopefully, it would be more like the latter than the former. But at the same That's time, true. at the same time, I am—I—I I, kind of like to describe myself as about twenty degrees off of the perspective of most people, and I do not understand the appeal of this at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah. to, to try to tie our whole conversation neatly back together, I'm, I'm curious how how much. Uh volume of tickets they get from people complaining about <laughs> this system in general. I mean, you could probably knock out at least a couple thousand people who are writing in about different card shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they could put in another uh, 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 section manual, old manuals at cloud? I'd love to. <laughs> uh, just anytime you're complaining about this system in general or something... <laughs> Old man yells at cloud. Uh, I, I I enjoy how that's become a, a, a reference point for people just being angry for the sake of being angry. Yeah. Not that not that complaining about the cards is entirely insubstantial, but I see that as sort of <laughs> just complaining about the system being different as a thing. <laughs> it's true. Uh, well, that was an interesting conversation. <laughs> And as we wind the show down here, unless I'm cutting you guys off, I, I don't nope. want to do that. Okay. Not at all. Rest up. Yeah. Um, so here's the point of the show where we like to, to share a bit of a war story from our times in the industry. And uh, Blake, as the guest, if you have anything in mind that you would like to share. Uh, mine isn't exactly personally related to the industry in the sense that like I had I had to deal with something silly. It's more like as a as a gamer myself dealing with Valve and Steam. Um, <laughs> well that's that's completely perfect. <laughs> yeah. 
So I I created my Steam account back when it was still green, and the only games that were on there were Counter Strike 1.6 and Half Life One. Um, and I was a big fan. I don't know if you guys remember the uh, the web series Homestar Runner. Oh yes, I was I was a massive fan at the time, and uh, and there was a, a character on there called the Poop Smith. I don't know if you guys remember him. He all he did was he, he shoveled poop. And uh, as a, as a teenager, I thought this was hilarious. And so I created my Steam user ID to be like an amalgamation of his name uh, involving poop. And I, I thought it was hilarious at the time. So did all of my friends. They all understood the reference. But as as time has gone on, it's been like probably 15 years since I've created this account, and uh, I still have this this PoopSmith-related username. <laughs> uh, so thankfully, Steam, Steam added in the ability to be able to modify how your username displays to anyone else. But every single time I need to go to log into it, I'm reminded of this horrible mistake. I, I don't have any tattoos, but this feels like the equivalent of it. <laughs> like something I can't take back. That, yeah, you're stuck with it. Yeah. And from what I understand, I've, I've done some research into seeing if I can contact them to basically change my name to anything else. And from what I understand, the way that Steam was set up early on, your username is like very integral to the way that your entire account is saved. And so one day I'm hoping I have the ability to basically laser remove this this horrible mistake away. But until then, I will, I will constantly live with, with mm. being... Related to the poops, man. The shame, and, and, and that's the kind of stuff that happens if you don't have a good uh, uh, core uh, technology architecture at, at the beginning stages. Because it sounds like for them, they set the username to be your unique identifying key in their business database. And that's you, you don't want stuff like that. You don't want your um, if you can help it. You you want to have all visible information be abstracted because then it's editable. If if only I wish if I could yeah. go back in time. That is probably one of the top five things I would try to do to change. <laughs> Man, if that's in your top five things to change, uh, you 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 have a very pleasant life. Or or this username just haunts me every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that that was that was that was delightful, Blake. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Well, I think that'll be it for us this week. Thanks to uh, Blake and Jeff for for joining. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. It's fun. Oh, yeah. Okay. And for anybody out there, if you'd like to see me write about anything in the Behind the Line Radio series or hear us talk about anything here on Behind the Line Radio, you can always get in touch with me at kinetic at enthusiast.com. That's K-Y-N-E-T-Y-K at enthusiast.com. Or follow me or reach out to me on Twitter at Kinetic Knows. See you all next time, everybody.
Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiasts.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiasts.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter at Enthusiasts. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiasts, and like us on Facebook. Enthusiasts.